Reflections from Torch Trust, focusing on Christian faith and sight loss. Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's episode of Reflections. I'm your host, Marilyn Baker, and this is a show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. As you may very well be aware, the period of Lent began on Wednesday the 22nd of February. I wonder if you're giving up anything, like chocolate perhaps. Well, whether you are or not, Lent isn't just about giving things up. It's also a wonderful time to reflect on the meaning of Easter and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for all of us. We're going to spend some time reflecting on this today, but first, I think we'll start with a song. This is In Christ Alone, sung by Anthem Lights. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought. Storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are stilled, when striving cease My comforter, my all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the Bursting forth in glorious day Up from the grave he rose again And as he stands in victory Since curse has lost its grip on me For I am his and he is mine But with the precious blood of Christ Power of Christ, I'll stand. 
what does this period of Lent mean for us? It's something that Stephen Richards has been thinking about in his piece, Childlike Trust, which is going to be read to us by Paul Rhodes. The period of Lent is traditionally the time of humbling oneself expressed through the giving up of something, an act of self-denial. Humility before God is what it should really be about. Allow me to explain. Children should be seen and not heard was a term the older generation used. It dates from the time when children were expected to know their place. A father's discipline was feared. The teacher's word carried the day. And, if, as a child, you were stuck, ask a policeman. I've always imagined that the position of children in the culture of Jesus' day was not dissimilar. When some mothers wanted to bring their little ones to Jesus for a blessing, his disciples' first reaction was to shoo them away, a thing Jesus countermanded. With this in mind, it is interesting to see how Jesus used a child in order to illustrate a pressing point. This arose on one occasion when his disciples were arguing amongst themselves as to which of them was top of the pecking order. Aware of what was going on, Jesus called a little child and placed him in the very midst of them. Here was this small chap, seemingly of little consequence in this gathering of grown-ups, and now Jesus was elevating him, making him the centre of attention. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The self-promoting disciples must have felt pretty small at this point. All who want to start experiencing life as God intends it to be are being told here that the humbling of oneself is necessary. Jesus' words will touch a sensitive spot for each of us. For some it will address intellectual pride, for others their self-sufficiency. A natural response to the call of Jesus is a reluctance to trust and the felt need to keep control of how one chooses to live both morally and ethically. This is why he pointed to the child by way of example. Jesus had called the child and he responded, coming forward in innocence and trust. I believe that the key phrase in all of this is, unless you turn and become like children, a turn towards God, asking him to get to work on our objections, questions and other issues, will be an expression of childlike trust in God as well as humility. Have you given up anything for Lent? First and foremost, it seems to me that Jesus is calling us to give up our hearts to God by turning from self-trust to childlike trust. Then we can really know him as our Heavenly Father. Yeah. 
birds hush their singing And the melody that He gave to me Is in my heart still And that was the church sisters singing in the garden. Now it's time for a rather different Lent reflection. This piece is taken from the wonderful book Dethroning Mammon, the first book by Archbishop of Canterbury Justin Welby, and it's always worth revisiting around this time. The Archbishop wrote the book to be used for Lent and Easter study, and this particular extract gets us all thinking about the different ways we measure the values of things. One of the biggest gaps in the way that the wealth of our country is measured is that it ignores what is voluntary and unpaid. A bizarre illustration of the relationship between the way one looks at value and the impact of money is that if someone moves from a paid job to doing the same job on a voluntary basis, the measured economy shrinks, albeit to a very small extent. Let me give an example. When I was a parish priest, I was working in a parish that had some financial difficulties and relatively few churchgoers. In consequence, almost everything was done by volunteers. Someone came in to help with the administration in the parish office. Other volunteers ran our children and youth work. The music was also handled voluntarily. However, as the number of people coming to church grew and the church became more involved in the life of the community, the demands on the volunteers became excessive. In order to be able to focus more effectively on what we were trying to do as a church, we took on some paid staff. The first person to be taken on was a parish administrator. She had been helping us voluntarily insofar as she could, given that she needed to earn her own living, but she now became an employee. The fact that she had more time to work in the church was very useful and made a big difference. But the fact that she was employed did not change her capacity or her qualities. She was still the same welcoming, effective and efficient person she had been as a volunteer. Yet from the point of view of the gross domestic product of the United Kingdom, by taking her on as a paid employee, even at first for similar hours to those she had been doing voluntarily, we increased the national wealth. We had, in theory, 
created a job. Of course, in practice, we had not created any jobs at all. The same amount of time was being spent on the work as previously, except it was now being paid for. The same applied when, with other churches, we took on a youth worker to support the work we were doing with young people in the community. It was effective to do that, but it did not mean that we had suddenly caused something to happen that was not happening before. We were merely doing it more formally and more professionally. Jesus, draw me. As I labor through the storm, you have called me to this passing, and I'll follow, though I'm worn. May this
If you add up the monetary value of all the voluntary work done under their umbrella, churches and other faith groups in the United Kingdom are estimated to contribute over £3.3 billion to the economy every year. Other estimates suggest that the members of the Church of England alone give 22.3 million hours each month in voluntary service. This includes everything from helping out at local schools, to running food banks, to opening churches to be used as homeless shelters, and caring for the elderly. In the wider world, we see a similar situation in the work done by carers for members of their family. This work is not usually remunerated, but saves the national economy tens of billions of pounds every year. Yet it is not measured, and thus is often undervalued or ignored. The consequences of ignoring the voluntary or the non-remunerated are widespread and disastrous. It demeans those who act from love rather than out of hope for gain. The two are not, of course, contradictory. Plenty of people serve with love in areas for which they are paid well. The so-called caring professions are an obvious example. Good teachers love their pupils. Good surgeons exhibit a passionate care for patients. Even in very hard-driven areas, one comes across people whose desire to do things right and to value and respect colleagues speaks of a motivation including but going far beyond what they are paid. Soldiers follow leaders who care for them. Field Marshal Montgomery often used to stop at a pre-battle briefing and say to some hapless and doubtless petrified soldier, What is your most valuable possession? My rifle, sir. Nonsense, your life, and I aim to ensure you keep it. Yet the attention paid to what is measured, which in modern society often means what is measured numerically, can lead to a demeaning of people who do things without economic reward. Mammon brushes past them, spurning them as unimportant little people. What are the other measurables, apart from money, that control your life? Try to list them. In what way do they influence your habits and motivations? What can you not imagine life without? Make a list. How many of those things are measurable, and how many are immeasurable? If you've enjoyed our extract from Dethroning Mammon by Archbishop Justin Welby, and would like to read more, the book is available to borrow or buy from Torch in Daisy Audio, Braille and Large Print. It's great for personal study or use in groups. To buy or borrow a copy, just call 01858 438 260 or email info at torchtrust.org. But now it's time to hear some thoughts about another popular event, Shrove Tuesday. Here is former staff member Deborah Chand with her thoughts on how pancakes can bring us together. The season of pancakes is upon us. Pancakes have a way of bringing us together. 
Perhaps it's the squidgy, puddingy, comforting feel as the pancakes melt in the mouth, taking us back to childhood. Or perhaps it's the sense of sharing such a simple, tasty feast, something so easy to make and enjoy together, and which tastes wonderful, whether savoury or sweet. Most cultures around the world seem to enjoy a pancake, whether hot cakes or crepes, bannock or blinis, dosa or drop scones, leavened or unleavened. The varieties seem as endless as the peoples of the world. And apparently, our early ancestors enjoyed a pancake or two too. In England, pancakes are traditionally eaten on Shrove Tuesday or Mardi Gras. Often drenched in lemon juice and sugar and gobbled up. Traditionally, any fat or meat products were used up before the fasting season of Lent began. The next day, Ash Wednesday, for the forty days leading up to Easter. In the past, Lent was a more strict religious fast when people gave up all rich food and luxuries, following the example of Jesus in the desert. And practicing self-discipline, and giving more time to prayer. Luke's gospel says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Jesus used this time to prepare for his work by fasting and praying. Really listening to what God, His Father, wanted Him to do. There is something precious in making time for what really matters in life. Today, Lent is still a time of preparation, a time for spring cleaning lives as well as homes, and like the calm before a storm or the expectation of a gift, a time for waiting in anticipation. To celebrate the resurrection of Jesus at Easter, Lent is not only about giving things up; it is also about opening up, a time of reflection, to really let God into our lives, and action, doing good works in thankfulness of what God has done for us. So, if you are planning to enjoy a pancake or two, maybe you could invite a neighbour, say a prayer. Or plan some time out to reflect on what matters most to you, and anything you want to change this year, whether savoury or sweet. May this be a blessing. I don't want to write this song. I don't want this pain to be my story. I don't want this desert road. Are you sure this is the plan that you have for me? Out here in the dust and clay. God, if there's a bigger picture, it's getting hard to see today. But I know that you won't leave me here. I don't know where this is going, but I know who holds my hand. It's not the path I would have chosen, but I'll follow you to the end. Lord, as long as I am breathing, I will make Your glory known, even if it means I'm walking. On this desert road, on this desert road, you got my attention now. I was doing the talking, but now I'm living.
says that this is where my hope is found Knowing life is hard but you're still with me I'm not out here on my own You were close to the broken hearted But you've already walked this road And you're gonna finish what you started I don't know where this is going But I know who holds my hand It's not the path I would have chosen But I'll follow you to the end But as long as I am breathing I will make your glory known Even if it means I'm walking On this desert road Desert Road by Casting Crowns. Well, I'm sorry to say that we're all out of time for today. I do hope you've enjoyed exploring Lent with us today and we'll have more great Lent-related features over the coming weeks, which we do hope you'll join us for. To find out more about what Torch offers for blind and partially sighted people, to get hold of the book Dethroning Mammon by Archbishop Justin Welby, then do get in touch. The number to call is 01858 438 260. That's 01858 438 260. Or you can email info at torchtrust.org. You can also find us and leave comments, questions and suggestions on our social media pages. Just search for Torch Trust on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Until next week, from me, Marilyn and everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. You've been listening to Reflections from Torch Trust.